Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to day 29 of Daring Faith, churchwide study on faith in our weekend services and our small groups, uh, daily moments with God, kids, teens, adults, growing, sowing, going in faith. Uh, it's been thrilling to see uh, people growing in their faith in all different kinds of ways, leaning into God. Uh, it's amazing for how many people they've said this just has come at the, just the right time, maybe if they're walking through something difficult in their life or hard in their life to have uh, be walking by faith and believing in faith and uh, so we're thrilled to walk in this together. So far we've talked about so many different topics of faith between the weekend services, the small groups. Uh, as we've said a number of times, faith is like a diamond. There's many different aspects to it, right? And uh, there's many different ways faith leaves an impression on our life. And today we're going to talk about one that's come up several times, but uh, we're going to dedicate a whole study or message on this today. And it's an aspect of faith that you cannot get away from in the Bible. It's something like you cannot grow your faith without this ingredient and this component in there. And if you don't introduce this ingredient, there'll always be a ceiling on our faith. And if you're new to our church, uh, you are around some of the loving, most compassionate, kind people you'll ever meet. And it's why I believe our church is so faith-filled and it's the topic we're going to talk about today of the topic of generosity. And the reason I love the topic of generosity so much, just to, I mean, just speaking from me right now, just from Ryland, is I have become convinced that it is one of, if not the primary thing that I can do to grow my faith. I, I like stuff that works. And I have found that giving in my life works to grow my faith. It gets results. And I've seen time and time again that the action of opening my hand, being generous with time or with money or with an ability, that I'm not just listening or processing or thinking. I'm doing something that's very real with something that's very real. And I'll just say, I need that in my life. I need areas where it's not academic, it's not philosophical, it's not thought. It's like, I'm either in or I'm out. Like I did it or I didn't do it. And I need those areas. And I found that to grow, generosity is a good place to start. So I want to take you to uh, a place where there's two chapters in the New Testament. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And what's happening here is uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote several books in the New Testament and traveled and preached and started churches in many different cities, uh, he was putting together a relief fund for the church in Jerusalem. Paul had a deep, deep devotion for the, the first church, the church in Jerusalem, where the gospel came out of. It, and the church in Jerusalem was facing poverty, facing persecution, and Paul is, he has this desire to kind of cement some relationships in the church. And you'll see this fund and different things show up 
throughout the New Testament letters because he had a connection with them because he started them and different leaders would travel to them and there was a connection. But he wanted the church and these churches to be interconnected and to know one another and love one another and support one another. And so he said, hey, we're going to put together a relief fund to help this church in poverty in this struggling area in Jerusalem. And he tells the Corinthians who are in the city of Corinth that he says, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he brings up this other church that has given to this relief fund he's putting together. And he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So the Macedonian churches were in trial, but they're still very generous. And so he starts off saying, let me tell you about how generous this other church was in this thing. And the church in Corinth was probably the most prosperous church that he had planted or most prosperous area. And so he, he goes on to say, well, I'm going to uh, send Titus to go receive the offering that you put together. And he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So, so you're under no obligation to give to this. I'm not commanding you to give to it, but I'm comparing it with, you're testing your love, comparing it with this other church. That's why I bring them up, he says. And then he says, let me remind you of the grace of Jesus Christ, that this is not a command, but it's, it's a modeling. And he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus gave up his throne, gave up his position, gave up uh, his wealth and his seat in heaven so that we could have salvation. And so he's bringing up a motivation for giving that's, I want to be like God. I want to emulate his generosity. I want to live up to the family name and give and bless and sacrifice for the sake of others because that's, he says, that's how our Savior is. And then he says, with this offering, remember, and we'll go to, you can go, go and read these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in their entirety. But he says, hey, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, with this special offering, he says, when it comes to being generous, God wants your willingness to be there. And just keep in mind, if you sow a little, you reap a little, sow a lot, you reap a lot. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So he brings it back to this illustration that Jesus often used that we looked at last week of planting and farming and harvesting, not devouring all the seed, not letting it sit and rot, 
but replanting it, cultivating it to produce more crop. And he says this will produce more so you can be generous on every occasion. And Paul wanted Christians to be generous on every occasion. Their faith to overflow into generosity. And so today is daring to be generous. I want to remind you of some things and prod some things that I believe are going to grow your faith. And here's the reason why. And this verse just stuck out to me a few weeks ago. Uh, many different translations of it, but man, this, the message paraphrase of this just has really stood out to me and been echoing in my mind. In Proverbs eleven twenty four. let's read this out loud together. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The root word of the word misery is miser. The stingier someone is, the more unhappy they will be. Have you found that to be true? Where the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I had kind of a, a heartbreaking uh, moment uh, some time ago at a, at a wedding I was helping someone with. And uh, there was a uh, grandmother at the, at the wedding and at the rehearsal, she was just complaining to me about um, all the stuff that they'd spent money on. Why'd they have to do it at this nice venue? And man, well, these tablecloths. And she's just pointing out every little thing and saying, man, well, how could, why'd they spend money on that? Why are they doing this? And, and I kind of started thinking in my mind, like, uh, why are you telling me about this? Like, I'm just officiating the wedding. Like, I'm just doing the thing. I didn't get the tablecloths, like, you know, and... And, uh, and then I started to realize that kind of the next day that I was the new guy who was the only one who had really talked to her because the stinginess, again, this is heartbreaking, like no one wanted to be around it. No one wanted to hear the complaining about all the things of the event. They wanted to enjoy the event. And I think there's just kind of like a scene for that, that the generous, like their world's getting larger. The stingy, it's getting... It's getting more and more secluded and, and it's, what does generosity look like though? What is the world of the generous, this line, just the world of the generous, what does that look like? And I'm going to look at some things from God's word where the Bible says the generous, what's the world of the generous like? The generous are refreshed and blessed. Generous people, have you found, it's just loads of fun for them. Like, they're happy about it. They can't wait to do it. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever got lemonade from a kid at a lemonade stand, and, and you never even intended to drink, like, you were never going to drink the lemonade, right? Because they filled it up with their thumb in the glass, so they gave it to you, and the, like, little Dixie cup, and it's mixed all wrong and everything, but what'd you do? You gave the kid more than they were asking for, more than they were charging, and even though you dumped it out when you drove away, it was the most refreshing lemonade you ever had. Like, you just felt so good driving away from that lemonade stand. Did you know God hardwired you to enjoy that? Like, whenever you're generous, it, it, you can study this. It releases stuff in your brain and body that makes you feel good. And God put that in you. He made that in you. And the Bible reflects that truth when it says a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others 
will be refreshed. It's why the most happy people you know are generous people. And, and it's why we want to be remembered for being generous. Because the generous are refreshed. And so friend, I'll just remind you today, you know this, but if you need a boost, if you need to feel better, the answer is not to indulge yourself. Like the answer is not to go on a shopping trip for yourself. The answer is not to get ice cream for yourself. The answer is not to uh, get more food or more stuff for yourself. It's to get it for someone else. Like it's to go get ice cream and give it to someone else and you'll feel better because you didn't eat ice cream <laughs> and you'll feel better that they did and that you were generous. Like that's what satisfies. That's what feels good is you get someone for something else. You buy gen- you're generous. Proverbs 22.9 says, the generous themselves will be blessed for they share their food with the poor. I have a friend who, uh, we were in a car ride together one time and it was a long car ride and we were just talking about different stuff making conversation we started talking about our favorite restaurants and um and then like what what's the favorite meal that you've ever had and so I answered the question and uh talked about this anniversary meal that Lauren and I had once the seafood restaurant and and uh, I went on and on about this meal this experience and I said what's favorite meal you've ever had and he said well the best dinner I ever bought I never ate and I said well, what do you mean and and he talked about this person who was really struggling and and he bought them like the nicest dinner he'd ever bought in his life and I'm just kind of sitting there silent and it reminded me of that scene in the three amigos where Steve Martin says what he would do with the money he'd buy a nice new shiny car and then Martin Short says I'd start a foundation for children and Steve Martin's like, oh yeah, I would get the car after I did that. And I was like, yeah, the favorite meal was one, yeah, I bought for somebody else. But it's just, like you could tell, like that experience was just fulfilling, refreshing to him of like, man, the generosity was such a great memory. The world of the generous, refreshed and blessed and it's growing. Number two, the world of the generous, the generous are compassionate Thank God for compassionate people. Thank God for the church. Thank God for this church. Thank God for people who are stepping out in faith in the church. And You know, everywhere churches are advanced and built, what you see correlating is hospitals are built, kids are adopted, orphanages are built, poverty decreases, where the church inclines compassion grows where the church inclines people and society does better amen somebody and that's like I mean you can study that that's the truth that's not just nice thinking and that's why we love to help churches and be generous with churches and love to pour into church planters and where the church is growing especially in places like North India where we get to be involved and it's so needed but in the world of the generous there is compassion I want to take you to a scene with Jesus in Matthew 9 where Jesus is going through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, so he's compassionate on the crowd, he turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He had compassion on the crowd. He looked out on the crowd and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And his answer is a compassionate shepherd, someone to go out into the harvest field. Compassion moved Jesus often. Friend, as Jesus looks on you today, he has compassion on you. He looks at you with compassion. There's a place in Mark 4 where a leper comes to Jesus and uh, needs to be healed, wants to be healed. And it says Jesus looked at him with compassion, was moved with compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is an awareness of someone's misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. I think that's such a great picture of, of part of Jesus' ministry is the awareness of what's going on. But then it's a desire to alleviate, to do something about it in their suffering. God looks at us with compassion. This is such a great way for us to show the generosity of God is to be compassionate with others. I didn't want to move on from this without something practical today. So uh, I just kind of wanted to give you three words to think about this with. Of how can we show compassion to one another? Maybe you want to write this in in a text box or in room on your outline. If we can be generous with our time. Time is such a valuable commodity, is it not? I mean, it's not a renewable resource. When you show interest in someone, when you ask them questions, when you hear them out, when you listen without just wanting to say your part, when you laugh at their joke, like if you've got kids, when you show interest in what they're interested in, when you laugh at what they think is funny, when you watch them, listen to them, give them time, when you let them teach you something, just like you're always trying to turn something into a teachable moment, when you let them turn something into a teachable moment, give them the time, it's compassion, it's generosity. When you take the time to, man, write it out on a note, I mean, you could just text it or whatever, but when you write it out on a note and take the time to mail it, it's compassion, it's generosity. Read in Proverbs this week, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. I thought just looking at someone with a cheerful look, smiling at someone, like that doesn't take any, really any more time. It doesn't cost anyone anything. But have you noticed going around the grocery store and going from where you got to go, like do you see a lot of cheerful looks? I thought just what a daring, I mean just a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. This church gives compassionate time so well. It's one of my favorite things about being a pastor is I get to hear about so many things that people in our church do for one another and do for others and time spent sitting in a hospital with someone, sitting with someone who's homebound or struggling, stuff like this, this small group semester, making a meal for someone who's, and they got to go to work and then they've got group that night and hey, I made a meal for you just to relieve that time, know that transition and that time in between work and small group is tough, so here's a meal and 
Just countless acts of time and, and compassion. Another one is talent. Giving our talent. Peter says, use the gift you've been given to serve others. And when I say talent, a lot of people think I mean like American Idol talent. And that is not what I mean. You know, I think of Rick Lorimer in our church who is a mechanic, just awesome guy. I've told you about him before, of him telling me that he wasn't talented. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you can back up a trailer. That's superhero talent to me. Like, you can pop the hood on a truck and know what you're looking at. Like, I just stand there. Like, I, that's superhero talent that you have. Like, and what he does and how he gives that gift and is compassionate and loves other people with it. You can give your talent. And I just want to honor those who serve in our church, those who serve on the dream team and those leading us in worship today, but also running media and sound and lights and those who serving on hospitality team today and, and giving a cheerful look and making a way, walking people to a classroom to check them in, looking out for new people and, and, and learning their name and remembering names and loving people and those who are praying over little ones right now as they play with them in the nursery or teaching kids and and I had a note from a parent not long ago that said that, that the, their RBFK teacher, because they said they talked about how much chaos they're going through in their life. They said their RBFK teacher is the most consistent person in my kid's life right now. Just compassion, the time, the talent that that took. And then also the being generous again with our treasure, financial generosity and compassion. Back to the world of the generous, I want to tell you, the Bible says the world of the generous are rewarded. Nearly every single one of the verses in the Bible on financial generosity, it's fascinating. They don't try to motivate you by the person on the receiving end of your generosity. Does that make sense? I'm still working out the best way to say this, but... That's what charity does. So charity, charities motivate you by the person on the other end. And that's great, that's fine, but it's just fascinating, that's rarely what the Bible does. The Bible, when it brings up financial generosity, says, here's what it does for you. That's faith-based giving. Like for instance, Proverbs says, when you help the poor, and then it doesn't go on to say what it does for the poor. It says when you help the poor, it's as though you're lending to the Lord and he'll pay you back. Uh, the Bible says that when you give, it gives you more wisdom. I just want you to grab hold of this truth today that whenever you live your life thinking about others, serving others, giving toward others, it enhances your life. It impacts your faith. When you use a God-given dream to advance the church and the gospel and when you give to the church you're giving to the body of Christ it enhances your relationship with Christ you see in faith-based giving the recipient is God and the person you're trying to help is actually you now the poor should benefit the church should benefit people in need should benefit but God brings up again and again, it's the word apodidomai in the Greek, and it's all throughout giving instructions and examples in scripture. 
Last page of the Bible, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my apodidomi, I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. And God, he does not owe us this. We sing, if you never did another thing for me, Jesus, the fact that you saved me from hell, that you give me heaven, you give me life, that's enough. But he says, I want to do it, I want to apodidomi. Like he brings that concept up. We didn't make it up. And he says, I want to help you back. So, so many places we could go today, but I want to show you this in in Matthew 6 of where he's talking about being compassionate, being generous, being uh, not materialistic and surviving in society and our worries. And he brings up some rewards. And one of them is he says, treasure in heaven. So money is a tool. Money's neither good nor bad. It's just neutral. You can use it for good, use it for bad. You can use it for really good things, really bad things. And Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, the motivation Jesus is giving his listener for being less materialistic, more content, is he doesn't say, here's what it will do for me. He says, don't keep it here. It's going to be lost. Send it here where you'll have it and where you can keep it. And he says, here's what it will do for you. Friend, here's where it will last. And that's faith. That's seen from God's perspective. Believing God and acting on it. That even though I can't see what's going on in heaven, no mind can comprehend it, I can't see the treasure stored up there, but I'm living as though I do. And I'm giving as though I see it. What's the next reward? That is the next reward, stronger faith. The next line from Jesus, we've heard so many times, I fear we're actually not able to hear it. But listen specifically to the order with me. We'll spend just a couple minutes on this. I don't want to belabor it, but I really want you to capture this today. In fact, let's read it together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he could have said, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. There your treasure will be also. And I could say something along those lines. I could say, uh, well, if you really love God and you really care about his kingdom, then you'll give as a result. If you really love Christ, you'll love the body of Christ and you'll give to the church. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not what I'm preaching because that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus is saying, I think is much more interesting. He doesn't say what you care about determines the use of your money. He says how you use your money will determine what you care about. Absolutely remarkable statement. It means that what we are connected to spiritually, emotionally, where our heart is, is not out of our hands. It's not a mystery. It's like we use our money as a, as a lever to direct our hearts where we want it to go. So we, we tend to think that spiritual growth always happens on from the inside out but it happens both ways 
There's ways where it happens from the inside out. There's also ways where it happens from the outside in. And in this case, Jesus says it's working from the outside in. You give and then you'll feel closer to God. You don't develop more faith and then give. You give and then it grows your faith. You want your heart to be there? Put your treasure there and your heart will follow. God will never have your heart until he has your treasure, until he has your life. The reward for the generous is stronger faith. Next, it's, it's freedom from one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago from materialism, the lust of the eyes. Uh, materialism is one of the main religions of our society. It is. And it has doctrinal tenets that say, if I have more, I'll be happy. If I have more, I'll be safe. And if I have more, my life will matter more. I'll be more respected. It says money will bring me satisfaction. Money will bring me security. More money will bring me significance. And of course, no one admits to believing those things. And we don't even always know we believe them. In fact, I would say it's always even easier for us to see it in someone else before we see it in ourselves, right? And again, there's, money is not evil, but materialism is not Christianity. And being wealthy, being rich is not wrong, not evil. But believing that if I have more, I'll be blessed. If I have more, I'll be safe. If I have more, I'll be more satisfied. Why does, why does giving break the spell of materialism in a way that nothing else can? Why is giving the only way out? Because materialism says more is the answer. And when you give, you're making a deliberate decision to have less. And when you give, not just out of spontaneity or not just because you happen to have enough, but when you say, I'm gonna start with giving every time, that every time I receive, every time I earn, every time I get, I'm going to give a percentage of that back. And is that hard? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But it's breaking materialism and it's saying the rest of everything in my life now has to get in line and has to follow. And the reward of the generous is this, this spell, this curse, this religion of the world broken in our life, breaking free from the lust of the eyes. In Matthew 6, he says, he goes on, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now that would seem like really out of place. Why are we turning to the eye here? But what we've learned about the lust of the eyes. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The generous are rewarded. They have light in their life. And then he finishes the statement saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The generous are rewarded. Treasure in heaven, stronger faith, freedom from materialism, and then lastly, provision. So stick with me here until the end, to the end of the prayer today, please. Because the cycle of planting and harvesting, the cycle of giving to God 
receiving back from him his provision, his blessing, his reward, it is not just about stuff and it's not just about a transaction. It's about two people. It's about a father and a child giving to one another, being in relationship with one another. Where God, your heavenly father, sees you pouring out what you've given, trying to be like him, trying to grow your faith, trying to grow in compassion, trying to be selfless, trying to go off of what God has put inside you. And rather than just having someone tell you about the Heavenly Father, rather than just reading verses about it, rather than just singing songs about it, you're experiencing it firsthand of giving God the opportunity to relate to you in a new way where you're able to open up yourself and give him something to work with. I want to show you where I'm, I'm coming from here in these last statements from Matthew 6 from Jesus and then we'll bow our heads and go to prayer. But Jesus says, don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek him first and watch how your heavenly father provides for you in life and is there for you and giving you freedom and giving you refreshment, giving you joy, giving you what you need, even when it's tough, even when it's hard. Your faith in him growing Would you pray with me, please? Friend, before we close today, I want to make it very clear that you can get all this right. (laughs) Like, uh, you could be the kindest person you know, uh, the most compassionate. You could get to a point where you look around and say, "I'm I'm the most generous person I know. And you could give away more money and more time and more resources Uh, than anyone, but that does not meet your number one need. Because your number one need is to know your heavenly father, to be in relationship with him. He created you and wants you to know him. And if you feel like today you're carrying your own sin and your own shame, and if you're under guilt and oppression or you feel like God is a million miles away, you may even be a Christian, but something went wrong and you've ended up far from God. I I hope this worship service, this message, and this time of prayer right now, that you would be reminded that God is close, and you can turn to him today. You can turn to him today. The word the Bible uses is the word repent, and it's so beautiful because it means you don't have to fix it, you don't have to earn it, You don't give for it. You just turn around and you turn back to God and you receive his grace. And you turn to him. Would you turn to him in prayer now and say, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And say, God, I need the way you made for me to be right with you. You made a way for me to know you and to be made right with you and to know my creator, my heavenly father. 
and I need the way that you made for salvation. And I believe that Jesus lived the life I could never live. He lived perfectly. He died in my place on the cross. He took the sin, the shame that I'm feeling and paid for it there. And he rose from the dead. And that by the power of his empty grave, I can be risen. I can have new life. And I can know you and love you. God, I thank you for your love for me. God, I thank you that you look on my life with compassion. Just tell him, Lord, I desperately need your compassion. I need your grace. And I receive it today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.